right, well, good morning, TBA. How are y'all this morning? Good, good. My name is Dave Scheib. I'm one of the pastors here. It is an honor to be with you this morning worshiping our Lord and Savior. Sometimes I think we take it for granted, the privilege that we have, and it is a privilege to come together as the body of Christ, to come together in Koinonia and celebrate the amazing power and presence of God. Do you take it as a privilege? Do you see it as a privilege? See, there are places all over the world that are praising God today in hiding with the real threat of death over their heads simply because they're proclaiming the name of Jesus. And they do it all with great joy because they understand the privilege that they have in serving the Lord. There are people all over the world today who are worshiping God and they're doing it in buildings without electricity, without air conditioning, without comfortable seats, some with just a dirt floor, some without even a building, no sound system, no instruments, people who have nothing, people who live without the comforts that we require, people who may or may not eat today, and yet their attitude towards coming together as the body of Christ to worship and praise the creator of the universe is one of great joy and freedom, one of thankfulness and obedience. I mean, what attitude did you come in church today with? What were your expectations of this day? Was your expectation to receive a blessing or to bring a blessing to the Lord? Did you come prepared to bring an offering to the Lord or did you expect something from him? What about your expectations of the church? Did you come with expectations of being warmly greeted at the door? Did you come with expectations of having hot coffee ready for you? Did you come with the expectation of being able to drop your kids off at a safe, God-centered, loving children's ministry? Did you come with the expectation of a talented worship band? Did you come with the expectation of a great message, a powerful, charismatic speaker who will keep your attention? What expectations did you come with today? Did you come to serve or to be served? See, sometimes I think our expectations is that God is here to serve us instead of us serving him. Our expectations are for others to serve us instead of us serving others. See, we live in such an individualistic society that teaches us from day one that it's all about me, and we are so blinded by our innate selfishness that the concept of a self-sacrificing community that is bound together supernaturally by the Holy Spirit in unity, love, and service to one another is foreign to us. But yet that's what the early church was all about. And that's what God has called us to be about. Last week, Brian kicked off this new series called Synergy. And if you didn't hear it, you need to go download it and listen to it. And I know I say that all the time, but listen, I think God is doing some really powerful things here at TBA. And I think he has some great things in store for this church. And he has definitely been speaking to us about what his desire for TBA to become is through these past uh, series, through experiencing God, through koinonia, and now through synergy. God is giving us vision and direction for what he wants us to be, for what kind of church he wants us to be. 
So if you missed it, you missed out. And you need to hear what was said. So go back, download it, and listen, because it was really good. Now last week, Brian gave you the definition of synergy. He says it's the interaction of elements that when combined produce a total effect that is greater than the sum of their individual elements. The cooperative action of two or more muscles, nerves, or the like. And so we're talking about synergy in the body of Christ. And there's a reason that scripture uses the body metaphor to describe the church. Because the church is the actual representation of Christ's activity on this earth. The impact that Jesus has in this world is directly related to the impact the church has on this world. I mean, we are his actual physical representation here on this earth. Just as much as his physical body was during his earthly ministry. We are called to be Christ's hands, feet, and voice in the community and the world around us. Last week, Brian talked about synergy being koinonia in action to each other and to the world. He said, God has the world on his heart, and every congregation is a world mission strategy center to share his heart with the world, that God can impact the world through one tiny local church that will be obedient to the Great Commission. Now, I don't have to tell you how crazy this world is that we live in. And to be honest, it's not just crazy. It's scary to me. I mean, there's so much hate and so much suffering that goes on and so many people tearing each other down and tearing themselves down. And it seems like the problems of our country and of this world are just so overwhelming. But I do know this. Jesus is the answer to all of it. I know it sounds so simplistic, but it's the truth. Jesus is the answer to all of it. And if we're the representation of his presence in this world, then we got to start getting involved. Brian said this to you last week. You weren't saved to sit in a padded seat. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. See, being a kid who grew up with farming... The harvest analogy resonates with me because I remember times as a kid when the harvest time came, it was all hands on deck. Everybody got involved. There was this sense of urgency to get the harvest in because the window of getting it in, the time frame of getting it in is very, very small. Because if you don't get it in in time, then the harvest overripens and it rots and it dies. And I remember times... As a kid, we worried. We worried if we were going to be able to get it all in in time because our livelihood depended on it. So this level of urgency was great. Nothing else was more important. I remember as a kid, they would let us skip school so that we could work the harvest. That's how important it was. And the same is true for the kingdom of God now. We only have a small window, a small time to collect the harvest And the stakes are so much greater than our livelihood. Eternity hangs in the balance. Do you realize that? Eternity hangs in the balance. And souls face eternal life or eternal damnation. So you would think our urgency would be greater. That it would be more important than anything else we do in life. More important than academics. More important than our hobbies. More important than our jobs. 
Pray for workers because the harvest is great, but the workers are few. See, God has called this church to be workers in the harvest. Now, last week, Brian shared with you some of the possibilities of what God could do with TBA Church if, if we were in prayer, seeking his face and walking in obedience. He talked about things like reaching the unreachable, getting a Bible and missionaries to people who have never heard the gospel. Things like planting a church in Highland City or planting a church on the north side of Lakeland. These are big, big things. These are God-sized things. And it will take all of us to make it happen. It will take synergy to make it happen. We all have to do our part. Not just some of us, but all of us. And these aren't just words to motivate you. This is what scripture says. Paul says in Ephesians 4, he says, instead we will speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part, as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts to grow so the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. See, Paul makes the point here that the body of Christ only functions as Jesus intended it when every single part of the body is working properly. The church works best when every member works. That's why every part or every believer is equipped with its own special work. See, you aren't here by chance. You're unique. You have something that only you can bring to this body. You're like a puzzle piece. God has created you in a unique and special configuration that is designed to fit into something greater than yourselves. Again, you're not here by chance. You're here because you're that unique puzzle piece designed to fit in this body, this TBA body of Christ, perfectly. And when each puzzle piece comes together and does what it's designed to do and joins other puzzle pieces that are doing the same, then this greater picture is formed. And the church starts to operate and look the way the master puzzle designer created it to be. And the body of Christ supports each other in love and it begins to grow. Well, what does that mean when the body grows? Well, that means people are being saved. People are coming to know who Jesus is. But that only happens when all of us, when all of us are involved. And if you stop to think about it, that's a heavy responsibility because it means we have to give all that we have to get the job done. There's so much at stake for each of us. An eternal weight of responsibility rests on every single believer. For each one of us is required for reaching people and discipling them. Some people will never be reached and ministered to if we all don't do our part. That's what that scripture says. Some people will never be reached and ministered to if we don't all do our part. Does that weigh heavy upon you? Because it weighs heavy upon me. I mean, what is important to you? What consumes most of your time and your thoughts? Are they things that are related to you or are they things related to God's kingdom? Jesus' disciples were arguing with each other one day 
And the argument centered around which one of them would be the greatest. The mother of James and John asked Jesus if her two sons could sit to the left and right of Jesus when he came into his kingdom. Basically giving them the highest honor and authority under Jesus. When the other ten heard about it, they got really, really mad. Not because what she was asking was wrong, but because they wanted those spots for themselves. And so Jesus calls them together and he says, You know the rulers of Gentiles lorded over them. And they had great ones exercise authority over them. He says, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as ransom for many. See, their view of greatness was measured by power, fame, recognition, influence, authority, and position. And these are the things that the world seeks after. These are the things that we seek after if we're really being honest with ourselves. See, we see our worth and value measured by wealth, by the size of our home, by the type of car we drive, the job that we have, how high up in the company we are. See, it doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom who volunteers or the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Most of us are caught up to some degree in worldly greatness. Seeking some kind of recognition, position, influence, fame, and wealth. Few of us are void of worldly greatness. And Jesus knows this about us. He knew this about his disciples. And so he offers a different approach to what true greatness is. And he says greatness is in serving other people. Now that's countercultural. That's the complete opposite of what the world says. And these aren't just words Jesus is saying. He modeled it every single day of his life. I mean, he lived a selfless life and he came to this earth not to be served, but to serve. I mean, if anybody was deserving of power, fame, and recognition, it was Jesus because he was God. I mean, the creator of the universe came to dwell among us. He could have demanded worship. He could have demanded the throne. He could have claimed his power and authority. It was his to command, but he didn't. He didn't do it. He came to this earth, and he willingly took the position of a bond slave, and he served those he created, and he gave up his life, and he poured out his blood on a cross so that he could save you and me. Jesus lived a life of service, Max Lucado said that the Lord of the universe's first day was spent in the barn. His last was spent bending down, washing feet. And because of that, Jesus says, those of the world who are concerned for themselves, that's not going to be like it for you guys. Do you understand how radically different from the world Jesus is calling us to be? I mean, when we become a Christian, he's, he doesn't just save us from our sins He wants to save us from the empty attitudes and lifestyles of this world. I mean, as Christians, we are supposed to think counter-cultural. Jesus says, I want you to deny yourself. Deny yourself. Think more highly of others than you do yourself. The world looks for status, but Jesus looks for servants. The greatest leader, the all-knowing, all-powerful God of heaven and earth, led by serving. And when he finished his ministry here on earth, he said, 
Now you guys go do the same thing. See, you're not saved just to sit in a padded seat. Greatness is serving others. And here's something else I want you to catch in this passage. In verse 26, Jesus says, whoever would be great must be a servant. Verse 27, he says, whoever would be first must be a slave. I mean, the Greek word for great means megas, which we get big and large from. The Greek word for first is protos, which means prominent or most important. And Jesus makes a significant distinction between verse 26 and verse 27. What he's saying, he's saying among, your, among his disciples, among us, the person who serves is great. But the person who is a bond slave is the most important. The idea of the person who serves is one of occasional service. Whereas a bond slave is a person who is bound to the Lord every moment of life, always serving, regardless of the hour or call or difficulty. It means a slave is totally possessed by the master. So in this passage, Jesus shows that there are different degrees of service. Not every believer serves with the same fervor or commitment. And the idea of degrees of reward for work is also taught by Jesus time and time again. Look at the parable he tells in Luke chapter 19. He says, A nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king, And in return, before he left, he called ten of his servants, and he divided among them ten pounds of silver, saying, Invest this for me while I'm gone. But his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We do not want him to be our king. And after he was crowned king, he returned and he called his servants to whom he had given the money, and he wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, and he said, Master, I've invested your money and made ten times the original amount. Well done, the king claimed. You are a good servant. You have been faithful with little, and I entrust to you, so you will be governor of ten cities as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I've invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money, and I kept it safe, and I was afraid because you were a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. You wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops that I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have got some interest on it. That's backwards, isn't it? Sorry. Then turning to the others standing nearby, the king ordered, take this money from this servant and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. But the master said he already has 10 pounds. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use use well what is given, even more will be given. But those who do nothing... Even what little they have will be taken away. And as for the enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. Okay, so there's a whole lot in this passage. And we don't have time to go through all of it, but I want to I get to a couple of things here as we get ready to close. And the first is being that it is expected for us to use our talents and gifts to serve and invest in the kingdom of God. See, in this parable, Jesus is the nobleman, going to be made king. 
And we are the servants. We are the servants. And so the nobleman goes away and he leaves his servants the task of being about his business. See, he believed in them. He felt that he could trust them with his money. They were supposed to be responsible people, completely trustworthy, because they belonged to his household. They belonged to the Lord. And so he puts his business affairs into their hands while he's gone. And he gives each of them a gift, an ability, or a talent. And it's represented by money in this parable. And he says to them, invest, invest this for me while I am gone. See, the servant of God is to take what Jesus has given him and use it until Jesus returns. Now, the Greek word for invest is a word of diligent action. It's from the root word meaning to walk, to set into motion, or to continue in motion. So the idea is that the servant is to labor diligently, never letting up, using all that the Lord has given him and investing in the kingdom. So there is an expectation for us as his followers that we would be diligently investing not in ourselves, not building up our wealth, our position, or our status, but investing in the kingdom of God. The second thing I want you to see here is that there will be a day when we are all held accountable for what we did or didn't do with what God gave us. In the story, when the king returns, every servant, every servant is called to report on what he had done with the gifts Christ given him. And scripture's really clear. There will be a day of judgment for us. The Son of Man is coming with all his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. See, in this story, there are three results that illustrate three courses of action taken by God's servants. One, being very, very faithful. Two, being faithful. And three, being unfaithful. The first two servants were faithful. Both labored diligently, but there was a difference. And this goes back to what we talked about, about being great versus being first. The first servant was 100% dedicated to serving his master. He was always walking with the Lord, never slacking up or allowing the trials of his life to hinder his labor. He worked to increase the Lord's kingdom regardless of the circumstances, and he was rewarded 10 times as much. The other servant wasn't quite as sold out. He didn't strain as much or sacrifice as much, and as a result, his reward was not the same as the first servant. Instead, he was only rewarded five times as much. And the servant who did nothing received nothing. And here's the point that I really want you to get about this parable. See, the unfaithful servant did nothing, absolutely nothing with what Christ had given him. He had no vision of what could be done. He had no sense of responsibility to the Lord. He had no concern for the growth of the Lord's kingdom. He felt like the gift that was given to him didn't really matter that much. and wasn't needed that much. And he had this false sense of security, believing that the Lord would accept him and understand even if he didn't use his gifts. And he tries to justify his behavior and he accuses the Lord of being harsh. He felt the Lord was too demanding and strict that if he committed himself to the Lord's affairs, he'd lose out on too much of the pleasures and comforts of life. But this was merely an excuse for his failure because he had chosen to live a life of selfishness and comfort and worldliness in the kingdom of the Lord without paying the price 
of helping to build it. In other words, he, had been a, he enjoyed the benefits of following Jesus without the sacrifice and responsibility required to follow Jesus. And because of that, he didn't really know his master. He didn't know what he was all about. If he did know, if he did know the true heart of the master, he would have known the amazing blessing that was in store for him. He wouldn't have thought that what was asked of him was too harsh or too costly. But because he wrongly judges the master's intention, he's judged by his own words and he's condemned. And he's not being condemned for what he did. You need to get this. He's not being condemned for what he did, but for what he didn't do. He was probably a moral and decent person. But he failed to use his gifts for the Lord in building up the Lord's kingdom. See, his sin was the sin of omission, not the sin of commission. And the sin of omission is just as great and destructive as the sin of commission. I actually think it's more dangerous because we can live with it. We can live with it and we can think that we're not doing anything wrong. We think that we're okay. And it's easy for us to come to church on a Sunday morning and say, well, I did my part. I attended church. That's it. I checked the box. And that's so far from the truth of what God has asked you to do and what God has called you to be. Again, that's just enjoying the benefits of being served and enjoying the benefits of church without being the church. So as the band comes up, I want to leave you with this. In light of knowing that you are required, you are required for this church to accomplish the vision that God has given us. Remember, every part has to work for the body to grow. In light of knowing the example that Christ showed us by sacrificing himself for us, remember he came to serve, not to be served. In light of knowing that our involvement is not only expected, but that we'll be held accountable for our level of service. In light of all of those things, will you still sit on the sidelines? Will you still sit on the sidelines? My prayer is that you won't. My prayer is that all of us, each and every one of us, will carry the weight of eternity on our shoulders and that we'll be on our knees in prayer to seek the Lord's will in reaching the world for Jesus. See, there could be no greater endeavor or greater accomplishment in your life. TBA Church, where will you be when Jesus returns? Will you be on the sidelines concerned with your own affairs? Or will you be diligently investing in the kingdom of God? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today and just the truth that you constantly speak into our lives, Lord. And Lord, you have such faith in us. Lord, you, you left all of this in our hands. And God, my prayer is, is that we would be faithful with what you've entrusted to us, Lord, that we wouldn't waste the resources that you've given us. We wouldn't waste our talents, our gifts, our time, our energy, our focus, Lord, that it would all be about you and about your kingdom. And Lord, that when you return, that you would be able to say, good, good job. 
Father, help us to always serve you and serve others with all that we are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.